This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan. Today, we're having a yarn with Mike Rosser. Mike and his family own and run a 3,500-acre property, Galwari, near Ugara, where they finished their Dorper lambs as part of a larger family business that also incorporates rangeland grazing properties at Wanaring in far west New South Wales. Mike currently runs 6,000 sheep, aiming to turn off 8 to 9,000 lambs per year. Now, Mike has been involved in farming all his life, from orchards and cattle in Queensland to find more sheep wearing coats in Tasmania to rangeland grazing in far west New South Wales. In this episode, you'll hear Mike explain how the need to finish their lambs faster and increase their land holding led them to intensifying their enterprise and implementing an accelerated joining program. Mike has successfully combined technology, containment feeding and his accelerated joining to increase his flock productivity. And as you'll hear, Mike doesn't mind pushing the envelope and making clever business decisions when it comes to getting more lambs on the ground. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Officer Rowan Leach managed to sit down for this chat with Mike between one of his recent trips out to the Wanaring block. I'm really glad you've agreed to come onto the show today. So welcome to Seeds for Success. Tell me about your farming operation here at Galwari. Yeah, well, we're, um, we're located around 10 k's north of Yagara, 3,500 acres here, and it's predominantly alluvial, loose and flat sort of country, which raises up to a bit of second-class lighter stuff, and then we've probably got 400 acres that's probably, well, it's not arable. It's not useless, but it's not like the other country, and we tend to run a few ewes up in there and that sort of thing, and granite sort of rock and a bit of pine, and then most of it's arable, and we do it cropping rotation that's suited predominantly towards producing and finishing livestock. And traditionally, we finish all of our lambs here that we used to produce west of Burke, but we're running more cattle out there. We're sort of running probably 6,000 sheep all told here at the minute and probably 20 or 30 head of cattle that we're, that we're putting a little bit of weight on. But predominantly, we probably normally sell 8,000 to 9,000 lambs a year. We've got a feedlot here as well that we just constructed, a, a bit more of a serious venture than what we've traditionally used. So we're going to use that to finish our lambs and to do some containment feeding when it gets dry again. And I reiterate when <laughs> when it gets dry again because it's can't be too far away with the last couple of years we've had. That's it. It's got to get back to the averages eventually, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it can't stay like this forever. It'd be nice if it did. So what breed of sheep are you running? Yeah, we're running Dorper sheep. We bought country at Yagera six years ago and, and we had an existing Dorper operation at Wanaring, 200 k's west of Burke. And at the time we had to decide whether we went down the first cross and second cross land path or whether we intensified the Dorper production side of things because we'd spent a lot of money buying dirt at Yagera and we had to, had to make it pay. So at the time we... Went for the first and second cross lamb job and sure a bit of wool or 
we had to switch over to where well, we were doing it already but had to to get better at doing an accelerated joining program for our dorpers so that's why we're running a dorp operation because we had the sheep already it allows us to move animals backwards and forwards during dry times because when it gets dry at Yagara, we've got flood country out west there in 19 in march 19 in the middle of that big dry we got floods at one hour through rain in queensland so we trucked a lot of sheep back out there yeah you could have done it with wool sheep but probably not with the same success as we can do it with dorp sheep so we're running dorp sheep here we did run a lot of goats out west but the drought and the influx of dingoes has sort of put a stop to that and it's put a stop to us really producing a lot of sheep out west because it's just getting a little bit hard so so all the sheep here all the cattle out west and then we finish all of our lambs and value add to the cattle when we finish them down here so that original plan, taking a bit of a leaf out of Sydney Kidman's book, sort of spreading your risk and spreading your geographic location, has that given you advantages? It certainly has. We certainly don't have a checkbook the size of Sydney Kidman's, and that'd be nice. But um, but yeah, look, it has. We often it's <laughs> we often find that rain events that hit Wanaring don't quite, especially in the summer because it's summer dominant, don't quite they don't quite get to. Yagara, you know, so we found that over the time we'll get rain events, like I mentioned, that flood coming through in 19 from Queensland rain, that we didn't get that here. It's a long way away, it's 650 k's, but through the drought there was freight subsidy of 50% from the RAA, which we utilised, and I think I sent a couple of thousand ewes out there at one stage, and I think the trucking out and back would have been equivalent to eight kilograms of barley at the time, and they spent four months out there, so... I mean, when you get a calculator out, trucking them out west and back again when the season improves is pretty sensible. Yeah, it's pretty invaluable. Mate, you've got a pretty interesting story of how you came to be farming at Yagara. You've touched briefly on it a bit with Wenaring, but I believe it all kicked off in Tasmania. We actually had country in southeast Queensland where we had orchards and cattle. And my father went and bought, with his second wife, bought some country in Tassie. And I was in London at the time. I went over there to work on farms, but they got mad cow and shot everything. So that sort of <laughs> that sort of pulled that up. And um, and anyway, I ended up ended up putting windows in high-rise buildings, doing curtain walling, which was really good money. But after a few years of doing that, decided it was time to come home and <laughs> face reality a bit and possibly mature a little bit. Jury's still out on that, but. We went back to Tassie and spent a couple of years in Tassie where we had super fine wool operation there and we um, we were putting coats on the weathers to keep dust out and improve the quality of the wool. And then we um, decided that we would like to get a bit more dirt and we ended up look, finding some country on Wanaring, which at the time, at the end of 04, was $7.80 an acre, which seems unbelievable now. And it was the end of 04. It had been dry for a few years and we we thought that, you know, be the right time to buy it because the drought was probably going to break because it had been going for a while and took a little bit longer than what we thought. <laughs> took till 2010, but we bought country at, at Wenaring. Obviously a little bit different to Tassie, but you've got to water and feed your animals no matter where you are, so it's, it's up to you how you adapt and how you manage that. But we've done a bit of rotational grazing stuff down there and a little bit of mixed farming and obviously didn't do any of that at Wenaring, but after spending 12 years out there and improving the place and getting into ourselves in a position where we could afford to buy some country at Yagara, we're sort of back into the mixed farming side of things. So it wasn't as huge a step to go from Wanaring to Yagara because we'd had that experience in Tassie. But yeah, it's sort of southeast Queensland to Tassie to Wanaring to Yagara. We've had a bit of experience in a few different 
farming landscapes. So I'd like to think that that's contributed us to being fairly adaptable in our business. Mate, I'd just like to look, take a bit more of your DORPA system that you're running. You've mentioned accelerated joining. So how often are you joining your sheep? Every eight months. We Obviously, the main difference between talking earlier about the first cross job versus a DORPA job was probably back when lambs were $120. Now they're $200. The DORPA job's probably on par without doing accelerated joining. But at the time, we're lucky enough or unlucky enough, whichever way you look at it, that we've had to buy all our country. So the bank manager's got his foot fairly well wedged. And that means that we either reduce our costs or we get more income. That's the only two ways that we can get a bigger margin. And it's pretty hard to reduce a lot of fixed costs. So more lambs on the ground is what drives our business because we're running dorpers and obviously there's no value to the wool. So dorpers being less seasonal joiners than a lot of other breeds, we developed, and I say we developed, we developed on our country and in our business, but there's plenty of people doing it. We certainly didn't come up with it, but we join every eight months. So we'll do a joining in a March and then those animals will get joined again at the end of October and then they'll get joined again the next year at the end of June and then it'll be next March. So we're trying to utilise a March joining where the days are getting shorter and the melatonin in the system's higher so they're more fertile and then that end of June joining is before the days are starting to get longer so we get a pretty good joining there. We scanned the other day and got 155% animals that had been joined that end of June into July. And then our October joinings are harder joining. We use Regulin for that joining, which is a slow-release melatonin capsule, which makes the animals think that the days are getting shorter and therefore cycle. So we tend to scan. Out of a March joining, we'll scan our 155%. Out of our end of June, start of July joining, we'll scan our 145, 155. But traditionally, that October, without the Regulin, would probably scan 110, 115%. And when you take out 15% losses that we have between conception and, and weaning, you know, that was really letting us down. Our, our, our aim is to, get two, is to wean two lambs per ewe per year. If we can't get that October joining up over that 140, 150%, we're back down to 180% lambs per ewe per year, which is still great, but there's definitely room for us to do better. So we do our three joinings in two years, but we run two mobs parallel. At the moment, I've got two joining – we've got a mob A and a mob B, and I've got two Excel spreadsheets where there's about nine columns on it. So we've got flushing, a joining, we've got our rams out, we scan, and then we lamb, and then we mark our we, – we scan for earlies and lates, and then we keep them in separate mobs before lambing. So then we'll mark our earlies, we'll mark our lates, there'll be a regulin in there if we're coming up to October, and then we'll wean our earlies and wean our lates. So it's quite complicated, but it's simple when we're, we're using our two spreadsheets because we've got ewes that are getting weaned this week. Lambs are getting weaned off them this week. On the 15th, they'll start getting some grain. On the 29th of October, they'll get joined, and they got regulin back on the 20th of last month. And then the rams will come out on the 10th of December. We'll scan them on the 21st of January. And then they'll lamb on the 15th of February. That's the Mob A mob, the physical sheep in Mob A. Mob B, their joining is on the 7th of February next year. So we're scanning on the 21st of January for the Mob A mob. 
so that anything that's empty that we want to retain only waits for three weeks until it physically goes over to mob B then gets joined in the February. So effectively what's happening is that if a ewe is empty and we rejoin her, she's getting joined twice in seven months. So if she's empty the second time, we'll probably get rid of her. If she's empty the first time, we may get rid of her, depending on whether we're restocking or not. So we're doing an eight-month system, staggered four months apart between two mobs, and it does sound confusing. But when you can see it on a couple of spreadsheets and follow it through, because it's staggered as it runs down, it means that we're effectively landing every four months. And that was a great system for Winaring because joining traditionally in your March, in your autumn or your spring works at Yagara where I say traditionally but over the last few years it's it's been you know unseasonal but you're probably going to get some rain and you'll get a good join and the trouble with that one are in country is that you can get rain any time of the year it could be storm rain so if you hold off joining your dorpers and you're getting no wool clip and then you want to join in March and it doesn't rain well then you're going to get a rubbish joining so having our mob staggered and joining every eight months it tended to overcome seasonal issues because our joining was any time of the year, every four months, and we're going to catch a rain event somewhere and our animals will benefit it and therefore either get a good joining, get a good weaning, and then get into condition for another joining. So it's intensive and a lot of people don't do it this way, but as I've mentioned, we do, and it works really well. So the biggest thing for us is obviously scanning. I mean, people ask me whether I have someone <laughs> come and class dorpers and I say the only people that class our dorpers are people with an ultrasound in their hand because that's the only classer that you need with dorpers. It doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned what they look like. Oh, that one's an F4, that one's an F5, blah, blah. Like, I don't care. If they're not fertile, they're not here. So scanning's the most important. We scan for twins, triplets, singles, empties, and we scan for earlies and lates. And it's really important for us with our earlies and lates because we're joining every eight months, anyone that lambs late therefore has less time between weaning and the next joining to get back in condition. So for us, use joining early means that we can wean them earlier, we can flush the ewes with grain, get them back into condition and join again. Obviously not a big issue in a year like this year where we're debating whether we even trail some grain out to, get, to try and flush them because they're in such good condition. But in a normal year, we need that U in that three-and-a-half score condition um, coming up to joining to get our twinning percentages up and get our two lambs per year per year. So it's intensive, but if you sit down and, and work it out, it's possible on it in anyone's operation to implement the system. Right, it does sound pretty intensive, and you're saying it. it's not that complex when you sit down with a pen and paper, but some might argue with you there. So it does sound a little bit complex. So what is technology that you're using to overcome the complexity? Well, this is the next complex part of the not very complex system is getting your head around the electronic tag situation, which is doable. If you've got a five-year-old kid, they'll probably do it for you. But we're joining that often that we can't just put notches in ears and put extra tags in and cut them out. And, you know, so we went the EID option to try and increase the fertility of our, our mob. What used to happen out west is that we'd have it had turned dry and we'd have seven or 8,000 ewes roaring through the draft and we had our rams out all the time and it's hot. You've got ewes in different stages of pregnancy so you can't keep them in the yards and wet and dry them to see who you want to sell because you get preg tox and things die. 
So there's 8,000 sheep flying through the draft and the beautiful big dorper comes through and you go, oh, I'll keep that one. She's a beautiful big ewe. And then a poor one comes through and you go, oh, I'll get rid of you. You know, you're not doing well, but that poor one's probably got twins at foot. So you've rolled the twins. You've sold the ewe for not much money because it's dry and she doesn't weigh anything. You've kept a barren ewe because she looks nice and big. And then when it rains, you're trying to rebuild your flock out of not very fertile ewes. So... When we came down here, we'd been looking at doing it at West there, but obviously it's a little bit easier here with the size of the country and the manageability. But we've got EIDD tags in them, so when they're scanned, I get a thumb drive from the scanner, I bring it onto Excel, I change a few columns, and then I bring it into my animal performance software, which is a Sapien product out, out of Melbourne. And then I've got a record of how many fetuses have been conceived by that ewe. And then if we want to start culling ewes, all I do is press ascending or descending on the total fetuses conceived column, and it spits out all those animals and how many fetuses they've conceived since they've been on our property. So if it turns dry, we start going, well, let's go ascending order. You've been here for five years and you've only given me, I say only, thank you, but six lambs. We do a draft list. We've got an ought sheep. We've got a Tapari auto drafter. It just drafts off that animal and we sell it. And interestingly enough, during 2018 and 19, in that dry period, our twinning percentages went up by probably 20%, 20 to 30%, because what we were doing, because it was dry, we were culling animals. And that culling, that culling was totally based on lambs conceived. So our scanning results for 18 and 19 are far superior to those from 16 and 17, because we only retained the most fertile animals. I did a talk at a vet conference in Broken Hill and I put up a photo of three ewes and they were the first ewes that had had twins three times in a row. So every eight months for three joinings, they'd scanned up with twins. And, you know, I asked vets there, have a look at this sheep, how many lambs has it had in its lifetime? And, of course, no one can tell you. You can't tell by looking at that dorper ewe how many lambs she's had. But I can get on the computer and say that ewe has had a single, then it missed, then it had a single. And I can say that the ewe next to it had a twin, 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 twin. And so when it turns dry, who are you going to get rid of? The one that's not performing. And we've got ewes in the system that have had twins seven times in a row. Every eight months, twins, 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 twins. So you start getting data together. And what we do with those animals is we'll buy nearly stud quality rams and put rams over them and keep some of the ram lambs ourselves because that's the sort of fertility that we're trying to get into our flock obviously there's other things you know like post weaning weights and and growth rates and birth weights and in our business fertility is everything so using eid to keep track of the most fertile use culling the least fertile use when it's dry when mouthfuls of feed are scarce and at a premium has really improved the fertility of our animals to the point that it is now there's no way we would have got to where we were weaning two lambs per year per year without the EOD technology, just being able to track who's who. Obviously, we're giving animals regulin, and we've got two mobs, our A and B, that are apart. If for some reason they all get boxed up together and we don't know who's who, straight through the auto drafter, pull them back apart. All of our ewes go together when we scan those twins, those triplets, those singles, the earlies, the lates. The empties, the empties flick over to the other mob physically and on the computer, but they get run together and we'll run them in a rotational grazing system where we'll use a big mob to go in and, and clean some country up. And then, you know, two weeks out from lambing, we'll drench them and split them up into their groups and then they'll lamb in their groups in their earlies, in their twins, in their singles, in their lates. So the EID, although 
it's given me a few more grey hairs than what I had. It's the way forward for managing fertility in hair sheep, definitely. Yeah, it sounds like you're recording an incredible amount of data and that it's really allowing you to make faster decisions on the genetics, have you heard? Well, it's faster on the, and the right decision, Rowan. I mean, bearing in mind, if your right decision involves having fertile sheep, it's the right decision. We all think that we're good stockmen and women, but, you know, you can't look at a sheep and tell me how many lambs it's had. You can't tell me how fertile it is. You just can't. And sure, we cull on aesthetics as well. You know, you've still got to meet the market. You've still got to produce animals that the market wants to buy. So producing brown, long-haired, long-tailed animals, they're very productive at one hour, but they don't sell that well. So, look, I'm not saying you can ignore, ignore other factors, but for us it's just making decisions on fertile animals. I mean, I'd rather have... 10,000 ugly lambs that know that people don't want to buy as much as 5,000 really beautiful ones that people pay a bit more for. That's where you've got to work out in your business, you know, where, where you've got to sit at. But there's a lot more people moving into shedding breeds um, due to obviously um, what we, you know, COVID and shearing and all the rest of it. And I think to maximise the productivity of the animal, you know, you've got to be doing an accelerated joining and, and they're capable of it. That's the thing that. We've got 11-year-old ewes that are still sound in the mouth, still joining. You know, it's, it's incredible. And, in fact, some of our electronic tags, I won't mention the brand, but the chip's actually falling out of them, the tags are falling apart, and the ewes are still going. So the ewes themselves are more than capable of punching out the lambs. But we've got to feed them well, and we can't feed ones that aren't having lambs because there's no money in it. So, like you said, we're making decisions, good decisions, fast decisions, on which animals provide us with the most amount of income which I think we all agree at the end of the day is, you know, what it's all about. It is a lifestyle, but none of us are doing it for nothing. That's it. I think one of my takeaways from this will be that you prefer productive sheep over pretty sheep. So that's good to know. Mate, you've also mentioned the last time I was out at your place, you showed me new containment lots. Very proud of them. And they were pretty schmick, I have to say. Uh, What prompted the containment lots? I'm only early 40s, so I won't profess to have been in agriculture for as long as most other farmers, but in the 20 to 25 years I've been involved with livestock, whenever there's been a drought, everyone's always said, oh, you'll never buy them when it rains, and you always have been able to until last year. You know, you've always been able, you had to pay a bit more, sure, but there was always animals around, and we probably sold 4,000 ewes. During that dry period, we had an existing feedlotting situation where we were using a grain-based system with a buffer pellet and some hay. Dorpers, maybe I'm not very good at it, but dorpers are pretty hard to induct, we find, especially considering they were coming from out west and they had no grain imprinting in them. And secondly, because dorpers are dorpers, then you put them in a feedlot situation. They walk around eating sticks and dirt for a week and then go, oh, there's grain over there and go and eat it and try and kill themselves. So we were having a trouble with we're initiated with grain. We had to have the lick feeders that closed up. The ones that were already on the grain weren't getting enough and that was due to being not wanting to kill the ones that were going to stop eating dirt and start eating grain. So what I'm getting at is we should have fed those ewes through the dry time and we didn't because our system wasn't good enough. And then the inability for everyone to restock last year 
we thought, well, we need to improve our feedlot situation. One, because we're producing a lot more lambs because what we mentioned earlier with our EID tags and our fertility and our twinning rates has gone way up. So we're producing a lot more lambs and we've got to be able to finish them without taking feed away from ewes because we need them in good condition to rejoin. So we had more lambs that we had to finish. And then to move away from the grain-based system, we bought a feed mixer and then built our own feedlot using a semi-bunker system where we can put three to four days of feed in the weatherproof feed-out bin that we built ourselves. And the other side to that is that with the total mixed ration and the feed mixer, we can then adjust the ration to suit use. So when it does stop raining, or not just that, I mean, we could have done a, a, a drought feeding system, but we're more interested in reducing the pressure on our pastures before it turns dry. So we're doing dry matter calculations and feed calculations all the time. And, and when we think that our ground cover is suffering a little bit, we might go and put 500 or 1,000 ewes in the feedlot. And because of the total mixed ration system that we can adjust the feed, we can induct them in there and increase their grain. We can put any sort of protein, any sort of fibre through it we want to put in it, and then we can induct those ewes in there. We can feed them. If, we get, if the seasonal conditions change and we think that we've got enough feed in the paddocks, we can transition them back out of the feedlot back in the paddocks we haven't done it yet but we're probably going to move to a 120 day joining program in in the containment area so bring them in a couple of weeks before we join them flush them with some grain join them in the feedlot scan them while they're in the feedlot adjust the nutrient levels of the mix to suit what stage of pregnancy they're in and then move them out to the paddocks to lamb sort of three weeks before they lamb so we haven't done it yet because you know as everyone knows seasonal conditions have been that good that we haven't had to but we fed 500 lambs in the feedlot. Obviously, we started building started building it in March last year, but sort of put on the back burner for a while because we haven't needed it. But we did run 600 lambs through it, and after a bit of messing around and a few induction areas, it, you know, we had some errors there, and our feeders weren't quite the right height. They were four inches too low, believe it or not, and lifting them four inches made a huge difference. We ended up doing 340 grams a day in our lambs at a one to five and a bit conversion rate. So it um, worked really well for us. But the main driver was that we can't – first thing is that we're spending all this effort and complexity on our simple system of joining to produce a lot more lambs. And the ewes that we're getting out of it are really, really fertile ewes. So one, we don't want to have to sell those ewes in a dry period and because we can't buy them back again. Secondly, it doesn't – I don't care whose calculator you've got. Selling animals for less than what you've got to pay for them doesn't work. So we've got to retain our core flock. And thirdly, being able to finish our, our, our lambs. Fourthly, feeding for production, not maintenance. And that's what we can do in this feedlot with the total mix ration. We can put ewes in it in a dry period and join them and get lambs rather than just trying to hold on and hold on and hold on and get no production. So – I don't want to say I'm <laughs> looking forward to the next drought to see how it works. I'm certainly not, but I'm pretty confident that we're, you know, when it started raining, people wandering around saying, what are you going to do now? And you start saying, we'll prepare for the next drought. That's, I mean, maybe that's a hangover from, from running country when airing, you know, when it could turn dry any minute. But we've all got to prepare now. And in our business, for our finances, in our location, with our manpower and our animals, we've identified you know, having fertile animals, knowing who they are and not having to sell them in a drought as, as the best ways for us to remain viable. Mate, just before we go, 
I just want to ask one question about what do you think producers across the Central West, what's one piece of technology that they could lift out of, of perhaps stuff that you've sampled and put into their operation? Preg test you use. Preg test you use. I think the statistics I saw at some stage was that, and this was probably 12, month, 12 to 18 months old, but only 20% of, of sheep producers in New South Wales were preg testing. And it doesn't matter whether you've got a wool-based flock or not. If you've got wool, then you want lambs as well because you want to try and diversify your income stream. And if you've got hair sheep, whereas a lot of people are moving to, if you don't know who's having lambs, then you're wasting your time. Just preg test. You don't have to be as intensive as what we are with, you know, twin singles, triplets, early, late twins, auto-drafting, but... You need to know who is producing the most amount of lambs for you. You need to know who you've got to feed. And it's fine now. We all forget about it now when it's when there's plenty of feed around. But if it turns dry, you cannot be feeding the right animal. And the only way how to feed the right hair breed sheep animal is to preg test. So everything else is fine. Yeah, we do lots of different cropping things. We do lots of different things. But preg test to use. Start preg testing your use and start thinking about how that can fit in with your business. Mate, I've had a while of a time today. Thanks so much for sharing a bit of an insight into your business and yeah, thanks for coming on Seeds for Success. It's been good. If we can help some people avoid a few of the mistakes I've made, that that's what it's all about. There's a lot of confidence in ag at the moment and I'm very confident about it and I'm confident about it for my children and if we can get everyone being productive and sustainable and economically viable in the future, then all of us should help each other do it. So thank you. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.